0: everyone to another episode of Encounter with God Together, our weekly video and audio podcast that reviews the readings in our daily Bible reading guide, um, which is right here, uh, Encounter with God. You can get that online or in print. And uh, many of you are already part of the reading community, but if you've found us and you're not, we would love to have you join uh, in these readings. So each week a guest kind of does the highlight reel of of what's happening in the coming week. And today I'm really pleased to have Johnny Radcliffe uh, with us. Johnny is the coordinator of resources for the National Network of Youth Ministry, in addition to many other roles he plays. And uh, he's a partner with Scripture Union. He has really helped us shape our understanding of youth ministry and what the needs are uh, today. And so Johnny, it's really great to have you here uh to share your insights with us for next week's readings
1: thank you uh, i'm thrilled to be here and i tell you what this passage that i was looking at i was like all right this should really be like a three-week sermon <laughs> series minimum uh there just so many tasty nuggets in here so i'm ready to dive in
0: all right great well let me pray for you for a minute sounds great father i thank you for johnny for his heart this generation for the work that he does to encourage youth leaders and to equip them for uh, reaching a new generation with the good news of jesus and i pray for him now as he unpacks uh, the coming week's readings for us and gives us uh, words that you've given to him i pray that you speak in and through him in jesus name amen
1: amen
0: All right, over to you. Here we are. Well,
1: I am ready to dive in, and I won't waste any time because, like I said, uh, there is a lot here. And we're looking at Matthew 16. Uh, We're going to jump in verse 13. Uh, We're going to read Matthew 16, 13 through 16 first. And, Gail, if you would be able to read that for the group sure Uh, that would be fantastic we're gonna to 16 yeah we'll go through 16 we're gonna have a little side chat about what's going on and then we'll jump
0: back in okay when jesus came to the region of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah and still others jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you he asked who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God.
1: There we go. Very good. Also, I just want to know, like, if people are like, he's staring like right into the camera. I'm actually reading the screen here. So, <laughs> My notes <are> pulled up. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, what I love so much about this is the whole time that the disciples are with Jesus. They're just trying to figure out who this guy is. And uh, what's so important to realize about this passage is this claim right here is massive. Yes. It's massive because everyone in this community was looking forward to the Messiah. The Messiah was the promised one. It comes from the Greek word, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew word, Mashiach. And sometimes we forget that when we say Jesus Christ, we're really saying Jesus Messiah. Uh, Christ wasn't his last name believe it or not. <laughs> uh, so when we're talking about the Messiah, we're talking about the sole figure that God the Father was sending to liberate the nation of Israel. Hmm. And what a lot of people latched onto was the idea that this was going to be done with David, uh, David's lineage, him on the th- physical throne, physically reigning in a physical line. And they're very attached to this idea. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus was the Messiah sent to set up a priestly line and to be, uh, to unleash the kingdom of God, which would not just be for Israel, it would be for everyone. So, I want you to imagine being Peter, growing mm-hmm. up in this culture where all your hope is on this one mythical figure that you're praying towards, and people long to see the day, and plenty died without seeing it. Uh, there were 400 years between. The writing of the last book of the Old Testament in the beginning of the work of Jesus and John the Baptist. So there was a lot of silence, too. So imagine all of this as these disciples are like, is this the one? No, it can't be. He would do this. No, he's not a military leader. So like back and forth, back and forth. And I just feel like this moment right here is Jesus just cutting through everything, saying, Peter, we spent time together. Who do you say I am? Hmm. And it's this clarifying moment where Peter just says, you know what? I've seen enough. Everything I know, you are the Messiah. Uh, is super, super important. In fact, let me read Jeremiah 23.5. It says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Mm. So for him, making the statement is quite huge. Uh, And I will say this. The next statement that follows, these verses are the ones where there's a little bit of theological debate saying, okay, Peter says this. Jesus' response. What was Jesus responding to? He says this, and actually, I tell you what, would you be willing to read verse 17 and
0: 18? Sure. Um, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there we go. So
1: sometimes we forget that uh, Peter's birth certificate said Simon. (laughs) And Jesus gave him this nickname. Uh, He gave him the nickname Peter in Greek, which means rock. In in Aramaic, it would be Cephas. So Peter's kind of got like a three name thing going. And it's because Jesus gave him a nickname. Now, was Jesus intentional with everything he did? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So (laughs) the question in this passage really boils down to this. Jesus is saying, on this rock, I will build my church. What is the rock? Now, Gail, this is going to be a little like in the moment test phrase here. If If I were to come to you and say, what is the rock that the church is being built on? What would your answer be? Uh,
0: Petros, uh, Peter, the church,
1: boom, there we go. So there, there are two different explanations here, kind of three. I'll say three. Uh, the first explanation is that Jesus is saying, I'm building this thing on Peter. Uh, and you could also say by extension, the work of the apostles. Now there is beautiful proof in scripture that this could be the case, uh, but let, let me let me say the three things that he could be talking about. Is he building the church on Peter and, and the Apostles? Is he building it on the confession Peter made? Or is Jesus saying, I'm building the church on me? Which all three are actually decent views? I mean, you're not you're not gonna go yeah, off the cornerstone So <laughs> Jesus <laughs>
0: um, being but the, chief cornerstone. Here's the
1: case for um the the church being built on peter the fun thing about this and this is why i love greek when he says i tell you that you are peter we hear like that proper name imagine him saying like hey you are rock and on this rock i will build my church he's basically there is an explanation out there that could say jesus is building this rock on peter and the the ministry of the apostles because they have to carry it forward the church is born on pentecost and spreads because of their work that makes a lot of sense and maybe that's why he gave him the name peter cuz that's mm. the rock he's going to build on going further another biblical proof is Ephesians 2:20 it says this but you are fellow citizens and this is paul writing remember this your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So he is writing to the church, reminding them that they were built on the foundation of the apostles and that Jesus is the cornerstone. The main thing, right? Like no one would argue that. No one would say in the name of Peter, you're saved. It's in the name of Jesus, you're saved. Uh, But the question is, is, was Peter talking about or I'm sorry, was Jesus talking to Peter? Or was he talking about himself? A lot of other people believe that it was the statement that Peter made where he says, you are the Messiah. Uh, that's, that's pretty compelling as well because the Messiah the, is basically the, the admission of deity in human flesh. There's no getting around that. The idea that Jesus was God here on earth, there's a lot of credibility to that statement as well. Uh, And then others say he was just referring to himself, uh, so Jesus could be the answer. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says this. This is also the writing of Paul. So Paul's kind of like flipping back and forth. What's he doing? He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So there, again, you have the mention of Christ, which should be the Messiah. Uh, That alarm should be going off in our mind. Uh, so, what is the final true answer? Ask Gail. Gail has the answer. So, you no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, all, all three of these explanations are very congruent in scripture. Uh, I, I like the idea of Jesus saying, hey, we're going to build this thing through the apostles. I think I tend to err on anytime you can say Jesus is the most important ingredient of any pie. You should probably say that. So it, I would say it's probably Jesus and his admission that he is the Messiah. But that's something fun that if you want to go into a theological wormhole and get lost in, it, <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's just fun parsing that stuff out. So, uh, But that's what we come into, just how enormous Jesus is and how he is just bringing everything together. And Peter admits it. But then he also doesn't get it. We look towards the next verses. In 21 through 28, that next section, Jesus is predicting his death. And this is where he, I'm going to summarize here. This is where he famously says, no, you're not going to die. I'm not going to let it happen. And then what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Classic. (laughs) You ever use that on someone? It's never an uplifting thing. Try it. Try it in your marriage. It won't end well. Uh, (laughs) So. Uh, Maybe we need to have
0: your wife on next week.
1: I know, exactly. She (laughs) should be here and just be like, yeah, yeah. Even I know better than to try that one on her.
0: Uh,
1: But with this statement here, it's interesting because he admits that he's the Messiah, but now he's also saying, but you can't die. Really interesting. And if you know the crucifixion, what does Peter do? He lops off a guy's ear trying to defend Jesus. Can you see how in Peter's heart, he's he's really tying to this, like, Jesus is going to be a military conqueror idea. Even though Jesus time and time again is saying, I'm going to die. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. The plan's still working. Peter's saying, no, I'm going to go down fighting for you. This is proof that when we see him cut off the ear in the garden when they're trying to arrest him, he was still thinking this is our chance to enter Jerusalem and take over and kick out Rome so fun to look at the life of peter and what he's thinking there
0: Mm.
1: Uh, but as you go down the verse 28 the last one of the chapter in 16 it says jesus says here truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom and a lot of people in that first reading would say does that mean they're going to be alive when he with the second coming No, what Jesus is setting up is days later, the transfiguration will happen. So, Gail, if you can read chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. Mm -hmm. And as you're reading this, as you're listening, everyone listening, I want you to put yourself once again in Peter's shoes. This is a very Peter-centric passage. I want you to listen and just, just imagine what this dude's feeling. He admitted Jesus is the Messiah. He knows this. He has been told he's going to die, but then there's a huge moment coming up where he's like, whoa. So let's read this one through. Okay. Four.
0: After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a higher a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.
1: All right. Now imagine you're Peter. You're just going on a hike with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, everything starts becoming like angelic ghostly white. And there are two strangers just hanging out, chatting with your Messiah. Pretty freaky moment. All right, Gail, I'm going to put you on the spot. What would be the first words out of your mouth? If you're with Jesus and then two angelic alien-like creatures just show up, what is the first thing you're saying?
0: Like, how is this possible? What is going on? Not like, could I build you three tents?
1: I know, right? Or like, <laughs> can I get you guys some Starbucks or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. I'm not even sure I'm speaking. I know exactly. I in that moment, you you imagine you're speechless for a long time. I think I would just mutter out like a uh, "What's going on, guys? Like, what are we doing?" Uh, but in this moment, there's significance here because. There's a chance that Peter was thinking of the Festival of Booths. This is a very important ceremony in Jerusalem where people came, showed up for a week, and would build these shacks. Still goes on today. Uh, And it's to remind them of the temporary dwelling they had. And it makes you start to wonder, was Peter thinking that this was the moment like, okay, you know, it's all coming together. This festival is so that the Messiah can come in and just make this happen. Or was he thinking like, hey, let's live up here in this moment and just stay forever. I don't know. I, I don't know. But there's, a again, another theological rabbit trail you can go down is, why did he say that? Uh, lots of fun. But then you ask yourself, why was it Moses and why was it Elijah? Now, There are different theories. One of them is, well, both of these people, their bodies were undiscoverable. If you recall, Moses was buried in the mountain. He was not allowed to cross over into the promised land. So maybe it's that. And Elijah was carried up into heaven without a death. I think what's more likely is this. I think Moses was there to represent the old law, the Old Testament being fulfilled in the work of Jesus, because any time you thought of Moses, you thought of the law, you thought of the Ten Commandments. Any Israelite person at this time would associate the founder of the nation and the establisher of the the laws which keep us in good communion with God. But then you also have Elijah, who is such a fascinating figure, because there's not a ton in the Bible about him. There's some good stories for sure, but his significance in the country at this time is just remarkable. In fact, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, ends on Elijah. So as I said before, 400 years of silence between when Malachi was penned and then when we start (laughs) to see John the Baptist on the scene. And it says this in Malachi 4, 5 to 6. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Reminder, Elijah had already gone up into heaven. He gone. Why is he coming back? Verse 6, it says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a a decree of utter destruction. So, Malachi is saying that before the great day of the Lord, before he makes everything right, before everything gets wrapped up, Elijah needs to show up. Now, this is, there are a couple different things where people say, oh, maybe John the Baptist was Elijah. Is Jesus the Elijah? Or maybe this passage is pointing towards the transfiguration needs to happen. This is Elijah showing up, and now Jesus and start turning the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children. And it's a fun one to tease out. Uh, What does this actually mean? In fact, if we jump down to verse 10, let's get a little more information in the story because Peter, James, and John got to experience this, but they had to keep it a secret And they still wanted to know what happened so if gail if you would read 10 through 12 that would be
0: fantastic the disciples asked him why then did the teachers of the law say that elijah must come first jesus replied to be sure elijah comes and will restore all things but i tell you elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the son of man is going to suffer At their hands.
1: Oh, sorry, verse 13 too. Oh, okay.
0: Then the (laughs) disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist.
1: Okay. Now I'm going to try to explain this slowly because it gets a little confusing. Because we would love to sit here and say, Well, Elijah was John the Baptist, right? Like that, that's so John the Baptist is kind of like this this second type. The Bible has a lot of typology, right? Like uh, the idea of this happened in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Jesus comes and is the greater Adam. That is the best example. Like the first human, the first type, the first Adam came, messed everything up. Now the second Adam comes, a better type of Adam, and he restores everything for all humanity. You see this a lot. So people are starting to say, okay, so is john the baptist the second coming of elijah and this this is probably what makes me a bad theologian because i'm I, I sometimes i love i keep an open mind um but what's interesting is that the proof to how this could be the case is in luke 1 17. when john the baptist is foretold this is what it says In the spirit and power of Elijah, he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So a different writer, right? Luke is different. The very get go, the prophecy hovering around John the Baptist is basically that he's going to do the Elijah thing and when we have the proof of turn their fathers to their children and when we have the proof in scripture that that basically Jesus is saying yeah John the Baptist uh, already came but here's the thing John the Baptist himself said I'm not the Elijah so what do we do with that I don't know maybe we <laughs> was just being humble this is kind it of feel like a marvel I, movie this is why I love bible study cuz I'm yeah. like it all fits together i have that faith God, show me how it fits together. Like, is he the Elijah or not? Um, I think he is. But I also know that part of, I think the way to harmonize it all is that when John the Baptist was saying he's not the Elijah, he's not the complete picture, right? Like John the Baptist didn't turn everyone to their parents. Like, you know, he prepared the way for the Lord. I think the best explanation is that John the Baptist was the Elijah that was foretold, but you have to couple it with the redemptive work of Jesus and he being the one that kind of fulfills it. You kind of get the president and the vice president coming together (laughs) to turn hearts back to the Lord. So that's the best I can explain it. Maybe in another year or so, I'll be smarter and wiser of how to harmonize it. But let me say this. I believe the Malachi passage is about John the Baptist. And it's not that his work alone will turn hearts back to the Lord. I think he's the trailblazer for Jesus. And he's he does a ministry very similar to Elijah. If you read Elijah's stories and John the Baptist's stories, there are a lot of similarities. But John the Baptist is incomplete without the restorative, redemptive work of Jesus. So, yeah, I think he trailblazed ahead and then the prophecy will be fulfilled in the full life of Jesus. That's my take. I don't know, Gail. Are you hearing any juicy heresies? Anything I'm saying <laughs> that's off.
0: No, it's uh, you know, it's all it's all, you know, kind of mysterious and symbolic and, and hard to digest. And I think uh I think you've done a good job trying to make sense of it all.
1: Thank you. And you know what? It's one of those like there's joy in the journey, right? Like as Americans, we want everything to be black and white, systematic, but God leaves so much mystery. So that way, those who who can draw near and wrestle will come out with a greater understanding of him. So uh, that's what I love about the Bible is that you, you every time you think you've understood all there is to know, there's another layer. You just you can't reach the bottom of it. Um, so to summarize, as we're wrapping this thing up, um, from this point, they come down the mountain and then ministry hits them right away. A demon possessed boy. The disciples weren't able to get the demon out. Jesus was because he's Jesus. And then he predicts his death the second time in verse 22, just to make it crystal clear. Did the disciples fully understand or register what was going on? Not quite. But the final thing I want to highlight is the end of this passage of 17, where it goes like this. In verse 26, it's talking about the temple tax. Uh, Actually, let's go up to verse 25. It says, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He said. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. All right, so timeout. That's just a quick nebulous saying, basically, Jesus is pointing out how, like, there's a family privilege and right (laughs) with the governing officials. Like, oh, they don't tax their own. But then he says, then the children are exempt. But so that we may not cause offense... That's a weird phrase to come out of jesus's mouth because it just seemed like he was taking everyone off everywhere he went but he says but not to cause offense go to the lake and throw out your line take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you will find four drachma coin take it and give it to them for my tax and yours this is a clue now this is something that has blown my mind because if you piece together some of the historical background There is a wild conclusion. Gail, I gave you a spoiler ahead of time, right? And it's pretty wild, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It blew your mind. And and this is what I'm going to say. This tax is stated as being for those who are 20 years and above. Is it possible that Jesus and Peter were the only two of the disciples who were 20 years and above? Does that mean Jesus was the best youth pastor ever? <laughs> Spoke about a youth pastor. <laughs> he was a youth pastor. That's why youth ministry is important because Jesus did it. See? Boom, full circle. But think about it. If that's the case, anyone 19 and under wouldn't have to pay it. Now we make some assumptions. We make assumptions that the rest of the disciples, you know, I mean, maybe their parents were paying it for them, or I don't know, maybe uh, Jesus and Peter were the only ones who didn't do their amended tax forms. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but what I do know about the educational structure of this time, as described in the Mishnah, this is how it goes for young Jewish boys, especially in Galilee. It says this, at five years old, one is fit for scripture. So you're going to school, that's kind of like kindergarten. What are you learning? You're learning the Old Testament. And then at 10, the Mishnah, which is funny, the oral tradition that's teaching us about this. So this is the oral book of the Torah, the oral Torah, the interpretations at 10. And then at 13, fulfilling the commandments. And at 15, the Talmud. And then it goes on to say at 18, bride chamber. And then 20, pursuing a vocation. And 30, for authority. What that just described. Jesus started his work as a rabbi at 30, because that's what people did back then. Mm -hmm. That was when you had reached the age of authority. It's kind of like you can't be president unless you're 35 years old. Back then, they were saying, well, you can't be a rabbi unless you're 30. Wow. Hmm. And most boys were kind of aged out of their education by the time they reached 15. So at that point, you went back to your father's trade. Look at the fishermen, you know, that that we had two brother couples there that were fishermen because guess what? That's what dad did. There were a few that the rabbi would choose and bring up with them. Clearly, these disciples were not that. So it's very possible that all of them were between the age of 15 to 19. And maybe John was even younger than that. Maybe he was even more of a high school dropout because they refer to him as the youngest. So the question of, is this the first youth group of the church? I think there's strong case to say, yes, this is the case. Wow. So that's what I got. I mean, the rest of it, I don't have time to go into uh, chapter 18. Uh, It's a great read. You should definitely read it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to highlight some of the theological uh questions that pop up in this passage really to just encourage you to do your own study to to jump into the commentaries and YouTube videos if they're worthwhile scholars and uh, just gain a deeper understanding of the time of the text and just what the implications are for us as Jesus followers nowadays
0: yeah no I think that's great Johnny and you know so many times I think when we approach scripture, we especially those of us who who have been with it for a while can tend to read it as a familiar kind of part of of our of our understanding of Jesus and and miss some of these things that you just pointed out that are you know that are challenging that are confusing that are you know, require us to really think what actually is going on. So I think you teed us up for the week really well. And and as you go through the readings this week, you know, find your own um storyline and see what, what it is that God pulls at you to to explore a little bit more. So thanks for some of that context that you brought to the table today. Sure. And um and I think it's fitting that you got the the uh the theory of the first youth group uh <laughs> so, I didn't I didn't
1: know that when I chose the passage, yeah, but as that's I was working through, I was right like, there, oh, so. you know I'm going to bring this up.
0: So anyway, well, would you pray for for those who are going to be engaging this uh, this piece of scripture this week?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, God, thank you for anyone who is just aspiring to really know your word and is engaging through this. And we pray that you'll bless them with a rich understanding a well-formed theology, and just the chance to really connect to you and just to see how intricate and mysterious you are and how that's wonderful. God would be so bored if you were scientifically verifiable in a beaker some lab. We praise you that you are large and over everything and that you're the king and that all of this makes sense, whether we can see it in this very moment or not. So give us hearts to understand and just a hunger to really dig into the deeper things of Scripture. Uh, We ask this all in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. uh, I know you'll be back and we'll see each other here and there along the way. So um, in the meantime, I hope you're going to have a good Thanksgiving this week. You too. Take a little time off. Sounds good. All right. Bye for now.